Welcome back to Stories Out of Time and Space. This is your genetically perfect host, Scott Weatherly. And as always, I'm joined by Julian Darius. Julian, how are you doing? You okay? I'm just grateful you haven't found out my name isn't Julian Darius. <laughs> how are you doing, Scott? I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad to be a valid. I think that's... Uh, are, you, are you acknowledging that you're... Uh, I'm invalid. And, and you will quickly find degenerate? all of my... All of my, I'm yeah. definitely a degenerate, a degenerate, and yeah. all of my critical views are absolutely invalid and proud of it. Yeah, um. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah we make all these puns. I love when we do this. We make all these puns and just <laughs> guess. Nobody knows what film we're doing. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to be talking about Gattaca today, 1997's Gattaca. Um, this is like 1997, um, mixed year, I think. Just sort of, we, we obviously talked about. Um, Event Horizon, uh, which is the same year. Uh, this is also the year of Batman and Robin. So, you know, it wasn't a great year, but then we've got Gattaca, and this film was a financial flop. Yeah. Um, 12.2 against a 36 million budget. Yeah, I mean, it has, it gets referenced often enough, and I had not seen mm. it until uh, I watched it for the show. So it is, it is sort of beloved. Yeah, uh, I, I, one of the things I was curious about because I watched it on on DVD. I didn't see it in cinema. Um, is that sort of like you say? It's, it's got a cult reference, but also apparently this film is a favourite of geneticists. Like this really did strike home. It's one of those films where um, a scientific community takes it to heart and is like, "Yeah, no, this is this is pretty accurate for what could or would happen." Um, so it's an, it's an interesting interesting one really, um, but before we get into the plot, what what are your first sort of initial thoughts and overall thoughts about about Gattaca? Well, um, I enjoyed it. Uh, mm. It definitely is a well made film. It reminds me very much of sort of nineteen seventies well crafted film that tends to be around a certain issue. I'm thinking of you know, Dog Day Afternoon and Justice for All and stuff like that. Um, even before that, sort of like 12 Angry Men, you know, mm. where there's a theme. It's clearly all on that theme. Um, it's a very carefully crafted, carefully shot. Not a lot that you can ding it for on, on those measures. I did find myself, you know, sort of underwhelmed in a strange way. And having not sure that I am as sold as the movie wants me to be about how this is a terrible dystopia and, you know, uh, see, you can really sort of like be a Mary Sue and overcome your, you know, uh, handicap or, you know, uh, in this ableist society. What about you? 
<laughs> yeah, no, I see. I see what you're saying. It's it's um, it's about the the underwhelmed. It's not. It's not. Um, it's not a film of bombast. Like you know, th- this film follows um, you know, a murder investigation, <clears throat> and at no point is there sort of like a you know like a moment of like you know a major thriller sort of confrontation between killer and and police with that. Like it's all very subdued it's very sort of it's a I mean, it's a small film which is, which is one of the things i do enjoy um but it never gets the i, say, I, I do i really enjoy this film but it never gets the pulse racing do you know what i mean it's not one i'm like uh i'm itching for these to, to, to see what happens next it, it feels in in many ways as we're sort of going through the twilight zone it feels very much in, in line with those sorts of things of, like you said about there's an idea and we're going to expand it. and this feels like an expanded version of that um, and I enjoy that, um, but yeah, it's not like a, it's not a film I'd go to and be like, right, yeah, I've got to watch that again. You know, it's not going to be heavy on rotation, but I definitely enjoy it, and I, I love some of the like, even the aesthetics, like the way this looks, um, and you know, just some of the sets and sort of the decisions they made. Um, it feels like out of time, you know, um, uh, and it's no moment in the film sort of captures that more for me than the very end of the film. And we'll get to the plot in a second, but like at the moment, at the end of the film, you see people getting onto a spaceship to go on a year long deep space mission, and they're all wearing suits. <laughs> yes. And so that felt very sort of like 60s and, and 50s sort of like sci fi to me. Yeah, sort of gray in the man, uh, the man in the gray flannel suit. Um, mm. Yeah, no, and it, and it has a certain style to it like that. I like that it's quiet. Like you said, I like that the murder investigation isn't bombastic. I mean, there there is no, if we're talking about genes, there is no genes of like minority report where mm-hmm. all of the stuff that's interesting in minority report is the stuff that's more quiet. And, you yeah. know, you kind of want to tone down the action scenes and have more of a Gattaca feel to it. Um, this has none of that, and I like that. I just don't know that its thesis is really as clear as it thinks it is. Okay. I think what you're saying. Yeah, and I think we're getting to it. We'll get into that. But first and foremost, let's give a plot for those that have or haven't seen the film. So stick with me, because this one went a little long, but not, not too long. But anyway, in the not-too-distant future, genetic manipulation has been perfected. Genetic disease, bad personality traits, and other imperfections can be removed at conception. The child becoming the best possible version of itself. If you can afford it, it's the best way for a child to be conceived. Society has adapted to this change and being a child of genetic manipulation puts you ahead in the game in almost every way. You are regarded as a valid. However, there are those that are still born without genetic manipulation, destined to be the lowest run on the social ladder. One such person is Vincent Freeman, Ethan Hawke, a boy that grows up to, with a valid brother, Anton, Loren Dean. Based on his genetic makeup, it's estimated that Vincent won't live past the age of 32, but this doesn't stop him. He studies hard, determined that one day he will be part of a space programme. Also, Vincent repeatedly challenges his brother to a game of chicken by seeing who can swim out to, the sea, to, the, out to sea the furthest before turning back. Time after time, Anton wins, but finally Vincent beats his brother and decides it's time to leave home. Not being a valid, Vincent struggles to get a job doing what he wants or even getting his foot in the door. 
Eventually, he gets a job as a janitor working for Gattaca Aerospace Corporation. He watches the ships going up several times a day, knowing he can never be on one of them, until he is introduced to Jerome Morrow, Jude Law, a valid, a, a valid paralysed in an accident and willing to sell his identity to maintain his lifestyle. Vincent changes his appearance and using skin, hair, urine and blood samples to full security, is able to start impersonating Jerome, getting a job as, on a space mission within Gattaca. That will take him on a deep space mission. Yeah, we'll take him on a deep space mission. Over time, Vincent demonstrates how competent he is at the job, but he knows that this would all be for nothing if his true identity is discovered. This comes under threat when the mission director is murdered. The police inve investigation starts, supported by a Gattaca employee, Irene Cassini, Uma Thurman. And the office is swept for all the material with a genetic trace, including an eyelash left by Vincent. The lash reveals that Vincent was in the building and becomes the number one suspect. To keep close to the investigation, Vincent starts spending time with Irene, which develops into a romance. Meanwhile, Detective Hugo, Alan Arkin, is having Gattaca staff scanned again and again, looking for any sign of, the, uh, of one of them being Vincent. Over and over, Vincent, using material from Jerome, is able to fool the scans. Unfortunately, he is not able to maintain the facade in front of Irene and Vincent confesses his past, leaving Irene with a difficult decision. Also, Anton, Anton Freeman, has also become a police detective and is determined to prove that Vincent is there, but does not believe he is the murderer. As he starts to piece things together, he forces Irene to take him to Jerome's home, expecting to find Vincent, but only finds Jerome. Before he can press the suspects further, Anton is called away when the mission lead is found to be the murderer. While the crime is solved, Vincent still confronts, can still confront Anton, knowing that he can ruin everything he has worked for. The frustration and resentment between the two takes them back to the beach in a final game of chicken. Still convinced there is nothing left to lose, Vincent pushes himself further than he has ever done before, leaving Anton to drown. Vincent eventually turns back and saves his brother, leaving him, leaving him unconscious on the beach. Going home, Jerome talks Vincent into taking it all as far as they had agreed to go. Vincent getting on that spaceship. Jerome has been storing samples of genetic material that will cover Vincent for years to come. And Vincent goes back to Gattaca to board the ship and start his deep space mission as Jerome climbs into an incinerator to end his life as credits roll. So that's quite a long winded plot, but I think that sort of covers it. Um, it is a small film, and like it's one of those reasons, but not a lot sort of happens, but there is a lot in there. Um, and I think let, let's start with your, your point there, the thesis of this film. What do you feel is the thesis of this film? Uh, <laughs> I think it's a, a, an anti-ableist film, right? Mm. Um, essentially, you have a futuristic society in which people's opportunities are determined uh, by their genetic predispositions mm -hmm. and the ability to test this rapidly and easily. You see so many scenes like the, the Alan Arkin character testing like every single thing in a restaurant, you know, yeah. and people have these portable testers. So. This is just, you know, a step beyond where we are today. Very believable. So you have this sci-fi version of an of an uh, anti-ableist argument 
And then you have the Jude Law character who literally has lost the use of his legs to represent these sort of like present day, uh, you know, ableist, you know, situation mm. um, without the sci-fi contentions. And so I think the thesis is essentially people shouldn't be pigeonholed. Uh, people can achieve great things despite uh, pers- being differently abled, being handicapped. Um, and this is then elaborated through these two characters and to a lesser degree, Uma Thurman. Mm. And I think that the film wants to argue against, wants to argue the pro differently able position that, um, you know, is a terrible world in which Jude Law puts himself in an incinerator, which I don't buy, but that's a separate issue. Um, and it's a terrible world that has this kind of deterministic point of view. And so we're going to take that present day critique and elaborate it through this sci-fi construct um, and have the uh, person who really can't use their legs as the identification figure for the present day issue to kind of connect the two. Um, okay. With that having been said, my criticism is, first of all, from the from the perspective of the argument, it's a problem that the Ethan Hawke character has to be such a Mary Sue, so, mm. so fantastic, you know, just excel at everything and, and be willing to put himself through all of this. That's the equivalent of, like, the, the black characters in movies that are you know, about uh, how horrible racism is that you say like, okay, you are the best butler in history. You you have yeah. excelled despite all of this discrimination. You shouldn't have to go through all of that. What about the people who can't stomach that or can't excel to that degree? They never had a chance. You shouldn't have to scrape your body every day to achieve in this society. So there is that issue from that point of view. But then from the other point of view, is it so bad that, you know, we have these genetic tests? We're not, even today, nobody's going into space if their heart is beating, you know, 150 Mm. times a minute after 30 minutes on the treadmill as Ethan Hawke is. That's probably not wise. Um, You know, so, and he is, you know, deceiving people i mean so so i sort of think that it has problems on on both ends yeah that's what you're saying especially sort of the ether hawk end it, it is quite funny that you know he's manipulating and, and, and deceiving in order to be able to get into space and the fact of the matter is if the g-forces do hit him when he goes off like it, it, it legitimately might um mm. you know impact his heart um <clears throat> The the thing I think, like you say, with with, with the Jerome characters or or Eugene, you know, Jerome Eugene, as it was called, the Jude Law character. Um, it's interesting because he he does represent one of the things I sort of they sort of swing. There's this thing of sort of that they swing a little bit with that character because they almost want to show a resentment for his situation. You know, he they want him to be like. Yes, I'm trapped in this wheelchair and I'm angry at the world. And they want to sort of have that, you know, with his drinking and stuff. Yet later in the film, they're going to have him drop a line that it was it was no accident that made him step in front of that car. Mm-hmm. But then you get no 
follow up on that that says, well, you had all this stuff, you know, let's really explore that. Because th- all he talks about is um, he won a silver medal. And so he, he was supposed to be the best, but he turned out to be second best. And so it's almost like, so that drove you to an almost suicide attempt. You just come across like a, you know, you lose that sympathy. Like, I want to have this thing of like, you know, did others turn against him or was it just internal? Like, you know, was it this existential thing? Was he built up to, you know, this, you know, can you explore things like this idea of like, anybody can be president, you know, and then have all that fed to you. And then when you can't do that, like people walking away from you and the loneliness, like there's got to be more to it. It just feels a bit frivolous um, to have that as an excuse. So there are things like with that character that I'm like, he weirdly like he's really important to the plot, but feels like one of the least fleshed out characters in the entire film. That's true. I mean, he has a certain coldness to him. I think a lot of characters do. I'm um, almost in that sort of like Blade Runner mm. sense. Um, I think I think with him, he he feels very sort of fascistic. He feels very sort of like uh, a member of the sort of like. Nazi judged Aryan race, right? Yeah. And he thinks I am entitled to this. He comes off as very entitled, but by the end, obviously very sympathetic to to Ethan Hawke's character. Um, but and I think the film, you know, I do sort of feel like we're in that kind of like Minority Report range where we're like, how does this system work? It seems yeah. very fallible. So, I mean, you're right that, like, it does seem very realistic, uh, the technology involved and everything. But I find myself thinking, like, the film wants you to note that one of the things that you're judged on based on your genetic code is predisposition to violence, right? Mm. And and Vincent is judged. That's one of the things they read off to him. Um, yet, obviously, um, the Jude Law character has attempted suicide by throwing himself in front of a car and ultimately commits suicide by putting himself in an incinerator. Um, the Gore Vidal uh, character, who, and I love these performances, by the way, who is the lead of the mission, is a murderer. So, yeah. you know, obviously we're supposed to think that this system is not working very well. And if there is well, a sort of like bell curve that these characters are falling on, Still, nonetheless, people can be can fall on either side of that, mm. and they're being judged prematurely. Yeah, okay, I think, fine. But I, I get what you're saying. I think so. I think there's something more there because one of the other things that I took from this film that is you say about it being fascistic, and it is. It's clearly supposed to be that. Like it falls into the sort of like retro futuristic idea of fascism. You know, sort of. Um, they're all very sort of like you know. Um, if this is if this film would come out ten years later, I think it would be um, what's his name, Batman, uh, Christian Bale mm. would have been in this film. Like he, you know, that Patrick Bateman kind of character. Mm-hmm. It's that kind of thing. It's sort of like you know, we did it with Equilibrium, which is another film I, I kind of like guilty pleasure film. But mm. um, one of the things I took from this film is there's an inter- there's an interesting thing. It's never really acknowledged, but it's sort of there is that because they've all had this, these genetic traits 
you know, either purified or removed. Personality, the personality thing bothers me a little bit. I have to admit, where they're like, you know, we can remove all these addictive things and all this and this, you know, um, potential for violence and all this. Like, everyone's still going to have a breaking point. But one of the interesting things is when you see, especially, it's more pre pre uh, prevalent with the males. They're all designed to look the same. Mm. So when you sort of see um, Loren Dean, who plays the brother Anton, and then you put him next to Ethan Hawke after he's been modelled up and Jude Law and all these other men as they're walking into Gattaca, mm -hmm. they're all very same. You know, this is this thing, and I think there's this idea of um, becoming not so much, almost, almost a clone. You know, you are, by, by taking out all these flaws... You just become a homogenous mass of people. This idea of perfection becomes almost irrelevant because you have so many people elevated to that. It's, it's the same as, and it's just a weird. It's just come to be a weird uh, comparison. The Incredibles, like Syndrome's point is, when everyone has superpowers, no one has superpowers because it's the norm. And these all these people become like the norm. You know, this sort of super layer. And they become this homogenous, and it's almost like, well, when you see all the people that aren't the natural borns, you know, Ethan Hawke, when he's shown as younger, he's got spiky hair, he's got his glasses. You have um, Ernest Borgnine, you know, you have these other actors with very distinctive faces that are very different from everybody else. Um, there's this clear thing of like, I don't know, there's this note of being, well, being perfectionized is actually really boring. You know, you you are just a part of a mass because there's the, there seems like little fun to be had up in, at this level as well. <laughs> well, that, that is very true. No, I mean, I, I think that look, I mean, first of all, Jude Law, who, who you know, is one of my favorite actors. Mm. Um, he looks the part. I mean, yes. he always has that sort of like there's a reason Arrogance. why he was cast as the uh, sex uh, robot <laughs> in, AI, in AI, right? I mean, he needs like the they just need to spray him with like the thinnest veneer of plastic mm. uh, gloss for him to look like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what I'd make a gigolo robot look like. Yeah. Um, so he has that kind of like Nazi perfection to yes. him. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I think that some of it is that kind of like Aryan thing, um, the bullshit theory of the Nazis. Uh, stupid beyond belief for the record. Mm -hmm. um, but also some of it is, um, I just lost it. Um, some of it is the sort of like man in the gray flannel suit, right? I mean, this mm -hmm. idea of sort of the m limited scope, not just of, of male attractiveness, uh, but also sort of male dress and presentation and all mm -hmm. of that. And you're right that especially like in the, in that, restaurant scene you think nobody is having fun right i mean yeah. I'm, you sometimes you yeah. sometimes sort of see this in, in sort of uh depictions of, of fascist societies where you think yeah you're you're rich you have some power but you know you can't speak out or be flamboyant yeah. or or be different in any way or people sort of look at you askance like uh, but that's it that's exactly the point is this thing of like um this homogenization there is no variance you know there is there is only this 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 vague notion of perfection in these characters and i i kind of like that it's almost like a glass ceiling that, that that 
Ethan Hawke's got a breakthrough. He's got to become a part of. Um, and it's almost, to me, I take it as... as Because um, he obviously becomes Jerome. You know, he has mm-hmm. to become this, this persona. Is the sacrifice of self to achieve his dreams? Like, you know, he has this very specific dream and he achieves it you know, at the end of the film is him getting onto that mission. And we'll get to, there's a couple of points I really like about the end of the film, but he's, he has to sacrifice this idea of self. And even when he's being introduced to Jerome, um, I can't remember the actor, but when that, that there's this sort of like, you know, a broker kind of character mm-hmm. that sort of introduces him. Um, and I love the character, I love the actor. He plays Monk and um, uh, it's going to bother me now. I can't remember, but um when he's introduced him, he says, like, look, I'm, I'm not here for half measures. Like, you are going to go 100% in or you're not at all, sort of thing. Like, you know, it's this idea of, like, uh, Vincent Freeman, you know, doesn't exist anymore. Like, you are now uh, Jerome Morrow. And so, I, I, it's the, for me, I take it as, like, you know, when I'm watching the Ethan Hawke's or Vincent story, this idea of sacrificing who he is to achieve his dream is quite, I, I kind of like, I love that element actually. I like it. The fact he's like, yeah, I've got to achieve. And I've got to, I've got to deceive in order to join this club to be able to get through, to do what I want to do. And I'm sure we've all felt that, like, you know, but in doing so, it's like, other than achieving his dream, there is nothing else that benefits him really from doing this. Like it gives him access to a club or something, but that's about it. You and I both have, yeah, I mean, I've talked about how we play tennis and how, Mm -hmm. you know, not often, but when we do, we both like give it a hundred percent and just run for everything. And, you know, I mean, we're both that kind of personality. Um, But, you know, I I find myself wondering, you know, um, whether I, I, you know, I'm quibbling and I, and I know this is a good movie. I think it's, you know, at least a seven, you know, Mm. it's, it's a solid movie. It's a good movie. I find myself, but I find myself sort of playing devil's advocate and and, and mm-hmm. quibbling on the edges. I mean, this whole thing that you're describing of sort of like fitting into this fascistic society. Why is that grafted onto? I find that very interesting. Why is that grafted onto this whole like genetic ableist, you know, or anti-ableist sort of argument? I think, you know, again, you have to believe that this society would look at these bell curves of probability and say, yeah, you know, you have a 10% chance of a heart arrhythmia. Okay. You know, most people develop some sort of arrhythmia at at some point to one degree or another. I mean, this is not Mm. shocking. Um, You know, I, I, I find, and the other thing I find interesting is, is where we come to this movie, who we identify with. Um, and and what side of the argument we identify with, because you and I are both sort of, you know, high achieving, motivated, you know, sort of work hard, you know, to a fault kind mm. of people. At the same time, um, you know, I identify with, you know, having manic depression, uh, you know, having, you know, sort of gross, you know, good fine motor skills, but bad um, gross motor skills. I had a lot of... Um, disabilities um that were like you know they said that they couldn't evaluate because i was in contrast you know uh this sounds so ridiculous but so 
uh, highly intelligent that they said that as a child, I had already compensated for these and you can't mm -hmm. even test these until a certain age. So like uh, on the one hand, I was genetically superior. On the other hand, had all of these genetic defects. But it seems to me most people are some kind of, you know, nobody is really perfect at these things. And we understand no. they're just probabilities anyway, but it's treated in a way that I'm not sure it ever would be. Does that make well, sense? Uh, yes, I, I, I see. I understand what you're saying. Um, however, I would throw in that there's a drop line in this near the beginning when he's going for one of the jobs. And so they discount him and they say the insurance wouldn't even cover him. So there's this thing of like <clears throat> someone has found a way of making money from this. And this is why the one thing's like, like I was watching this and thinking like I would love this to be. And we often say this and it's, you know, because I think you and I love the detail and the minutiae of things like if this was a 10 episode show and you could explore the wider things of the world, like how do they get here? You know, had this society come to this place, I can imagine that you get this class of genetic people, you know, these sort of like Captain Americas of everything. And like I'm going to look like Chris Evans. Oh, I'm not that lucky. I've seen the pictures. Jesus. Um, but like, you know, they get they get to that point where, yeah, you know, they've got strong hearts. They've got, you know, they've got an exceptional lifespan. Um, they've got no... Um, you know, bad addictive traits, saying that Jude Law's character does smoke mm -hmm. um, and all these other things. So you've got that layer where the insurance company is going like, yeah, you are such a low risk that we can no longer insure you. Like it's no, There's no point insuring you for life insurance. Like, so we've got to make money elsewhere. Oh, look at these invalids. So now if you want to do something, you've got to pay this massive premium. And so I can imagine that actually this society wasn't driven by genetic perfection, but more like by commerce and economy and, and capitalism, where if you're being told, and this is the thing, like they say, like there's, there's a thing in there, they say about his lifespan is 30, he's expected to live no, no further than 32, which is ridiculous, because he has like a 25% a, like chance of, of gaining heart disease and stuff. But that's what the doctors say. And so they're like, well, why would they bother training you to do anything? You're not, mm -hmm. you're not worth the investment. But these other guys that are going to live well into the, you know, past 100 and be super healthy, they are worth the investment. And so it comes back to money again, where I can see companies, you know, let's think about the big companies going, yeah, we can really train these people and they can be a real investment and a real. And then those people that have got that, they'll be the ones that are running Wall Street. They're the ones running these other things. So I think it's less about, I know the films are tell this, but I'm sort of looking at the, how this would have come about i can totally see this this society being driven by commerce and and you know you see the two brothers like and, and, and anton the brother becomes this you know uh there's a great line in this um i can't remember Uma Thurman or one of them the mission inspector says about they talk about the people that are going to go into space you know, and they've got this thing of, of the quality of people that are going to go up in the gym. And they say, oh, yeah, we've got people that are the best. And it's, but there's even other people that, you know, they haven't got the best traits and we won't go up, you know, but they're, they're probably good enough to become, you know, I don't know a policeman. Mm. Um, so mm. even within the genetically modified, there's elite. a class structure. Yeah, there's the, you know, they're not all the elite. Yeah. There's a ladder within that as well.
Mm-hmm. And so I, I kind of like that there's little bits of this. You get little lines every now and then that you go, oh, okay, there's a, there's a definite class structure. And Vincent was at the bottom. And, as yeah, you, and I mean, even Anton wasn't at the top. There's this, you know. I like that too. But, you know, I mean, and, and there it is true that, you know, like when you when you begin to select for personality trait or, or trait X, you do get, um, you know, other traits get brought in, um, mm. including physical traits. Uh, I mean, this is a phenomenon in genetics, um, you know, when that has to do with breeding and things like this. But I'm not convinced that what you're describing would lead to everyone having that same sort of look. And I'm not convinced that I like what you're saying. I live in one of the most, you know, laissez-faire capitalist countries around, and we still have prohibited discrimination <laughs> in insurance already without this dystopian future. Um, but even imagining what you're describing, okay, I can imagine somebody who is only going to live to 30. As you say, I, I'm not convinced that mm. those traits would lead to that diagnosis. But, you know, imagining that case, Yes, that person might pay higher premiums, and this would be a great illustration of like the high cost of poverty, right? Like if yeah. you're too poor to genetically modify your kid, your kid is going to have to pay these premiums for the rest of his <laughs> life, you know. And that, you know, that could be a, a good social criticism. But again, we're talking about like, okay, you have a you know, twenty five percent chance of of heart disease. You know how many Americans have heart disease? You know how many Brits have heart disease? I mean. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, even if we priced all of this stuff in behavior such as you pointed out, Jude Law smoking and drinking, that is going to make or or participating in a dangerous sport where you can be seriously damaged, you know, driving fast. I mean, there are lo- those things are going to have a bigger influence than, mm-hmm. you know, uh, these whether you have a 30% chance of, of heart disease or a 60% chance. That sounds like an incredible difference. But, you know, whether you eat Big Macs or you eat vegetables makes is going to make that much of a difference, too. Yeah, I agree. And, and I will admit that this film doesn't want you to think about that. It doesn't. This film doesn't want to want you to think about you might have a predisposition to cancer or you may not have a predisposition to cancer but if you smoke from the age of 16 to 60 you know you 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 regardless of your predisposition you are increasing your chances of of getting some form of cancer fine yeah this film doesn't really want you to think about that it wants to focus in on those genetics as a, as a thing like you're right because it um that it, it yeah it's that Nature versus nurture in a weird way, isn't it? Like, it, what are your natural predispositions? This we have a we have built a filter, a genetic filter that takes out all your negative, um, natural predispositions. We can get rid of all that, but that doesn't prevent, as you say, nurture stuff, things that will happen in life that will lead you to an incident. Or some illness, or you know, whatever. So there are there are definitely factors, and it, this film doesn't want to, doesn't want to think about that. It doesn't want you to think about that. Like I say, it wants to focus in on the genetics of it uh, and what that could lead to. Um, but yeah. also, it this film doesn't address 
medicine in a in a wider scope like what what impact has this had on healthcare and those sorts of things like it's not a wider story it's only very focused on these this small scenario i mean i i'm not sure that the film doesn't want you to think about those things but i think the film leverages those things whether it's jude law you know drinking smoking having you know a suicide attempt and then a final mm. suicide I mean, I think that the film wants to leverage these things to say discriminating based on, you know, genetic predispositions is not fair and and ableism in general is not fair. Okay, fine. Point taken. You're right. Uh, I get it. Um, but it doesn't really it it you know it does not really create a convincing society. Uh, you know, rather the society is just one in which, I mean, it's, it's the, the, you're right to point out the Twilight Zone, right? I mean, and one of the key science fiction types of stories, right, is like, if this goes on, right, mm. you take this idea and just extrapolate it further, and we don't really focus on, you know, we kind of keep everything about the same around that trait of society. We don't really think, well, yeah, I mean, this would not go that extreme anyway. So I mean, it, it starts to fall apart if you... Yeah. That doesn't mean it's not a good movie. I mean, it does what it's doing really well. Mm. And I think that's the thing, like you say, when you, it's, it's world... I will admit, this film's world building isn't strong. And I don't think that's a part it's looking to do because it has a very specific... Uh, locale, like you are, you know, you are literally there's like four sets. Um, it's trying to keep them very sort of small, very like you know, very sort of fixed. It kind of feels um, like a play in some ways. Yes, it does very much so. Yeah, but there are those questions, and that you know, again, one of the things that you and I sort of come back to um, often is that's fine for this, but how is this working somewhere else? Like you know, this is might working. Say this is if this is California, like how is this working in like rural illinois how is this working in london how is this working in other parts of the world like does this have the same impact does this thing same thing available how is this impacted politics or policing or like you get to and it's that thing we've said with when we watched westworld that's season three of westworld again there's that question around the use of the ai and all this other stuff and you sort of go okay well how does this work is it good or bad you can't you you know you shouldn't just take a side you need to sort of lay out your full case and this film is very much going down that thing of here's a small case it's, it's almost like here's a case study in fact you know here's a single example of how this thing can play out i, I guess what i object to is i mean and again i love these performances i love seeing gore Vidal. i love seeing <laughs> you know jude law i mean these are these are i'm engrossed in the movie from start to finish. I never am bored and thinking, oh God, how how much longer do I have to go? Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that this movie does take a side, right? This is mm -hmm. wrong and this is emblematic of, of ableism in general. Look, China's gonna be there in a yeah. small amount of time. Uh, China is continuing with genetic experimentation and, you know, this is, I mean, this is gonna happen, right? Um, okay, all right. So, so what does that look like? Does it is it really going to look like this? Um, I mean, you you can push the argument, but I mean, is it wrong for parents to genetically select? I mean, like today, um, 
even in the West, right, in present day, if you, if you are, if you test the uh, embryo for the possibility of Down syndrome. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking this, yeah. That child, that potential child is uh, almost universally aborted. Mm -hmm. uh, so, or prevented from coming to term in one way or another. Um, it, it may happen early enough that it, it's not, doesn't constitute abortion, it's just failure. Um, all right, and there are people who object to that. I mean, and, and that's a real argument, I'm not mocking mm. it. I mean, that that is an ethical argument. Um, you know, you're not, you're bringing fewer people with Down syndrome into the world. Um, on the other hand, others will say, look, you know, I mean, if you can not suffer from asthma and guarantee your kids don't have asthma, that sounds like a, a positive thing. And there are a lot of genetic predispositions. I mean, it's terrible to die of a heart attack at 30. Mm -hmm. If you could select children who are less likely to do that, is that not a positive? It is, and I think this is, it's about the, the, it's about the extent of the menu, isn't it? This is where it sort of starts to sort of like, you know, it's about, and it's always been, it's always about these things, like how far will it go? Like if you could have the opportunity to say, yeah, I can, I can guarantee that my child will not have a genetic illness that will, you know, cause them to have a disability, whether it be, uh, even as low as asthma or hay fever, you know, they're, they're not going to have one of these things um, or a weak heart or the, you know, we can do something about those things. It's, it's, a, it's a difficult, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult argument because there is this thing of saying, you know, what if I can prevent my child from having Down syndrome? Is it the right thing to do? Well, yeah. What, how does it affect their quality of life? You know, if I can guarantee them a good life, a good, and it's this ableist argument then, isn't it? And then, but then, and I, I struggle with this, you know, as, as I think many people do is yes. If I was to have a disabled child in, with, with, with whatever condition, I would care and love and raise that child in the best way possible. If however, at the very point of conception, someone had said, I can guarantee that they will be 100% healthy with no conditions. All we've got to do is make these genetic manipulations and stuff. Would you do it? I don't know. It's it's a... Well, the answer is yes, right? But yeah. I mean, of course you would. Because, um, you know, you love your potential child and, and, you know, want them to be healthy, right? But there's, other people, but there's other people, and again, because one of the things this film doesn't cover, and I think it's because it's a science fiction film, is, is this idea of... of the influence of religion or spirituality and there will be people that there will definitely be people that will say no i would not interfere because it's the child that you know whether it be like that god's given me or it's their own body or it's destiny or it's fate or whatever that will say no i'm not going to do that um well, but the reality is nobody's offering a guarantee of anything right yeah. i mean we're all talking i mean this is what what kind of drives me crazy the more i think about this movie <laughs> Is that, you know, we're, look, this is like quantum physics. It's all probability. Nothing yes. is, is certain here. And there are conditions where you would say, okay, everybody's got their own spectrum. Everybody's got their, how much they value different things. There are conditions under which, you know, virtually anyone would say, 
you know, I mean, for example, your child, you know, your child is, is probably going to die within the first six months of life. All right, let's make those modifications, right? Yeah. Somebody's got a threshold there. Is Down syndrome enough? It is for most people. It's not for Sarah Palin, for example, and I'm not judging. Um, on the other hand, you know, uh, manic depression, you know, where does this, where does this end? Um, hmm. And so that's the, the science fiction conceit. But I mean, ultimately, it's a spectrum anyway. And I mean, this is something that's being talked about in the autistic community of like, you know, neurodiversity. Mm. There are advantages to, you know, autistic people have advantages as, as well as disadvantages. But it's not purely a handicap. Um, you know, this is something that society doesn't have enough roles for at present yep. and understand as much. But it's wrong to look at that as like, oh, well, you know, you cannot do this thing that others can do. And it's simply a loss of, say, cognitive function or, or mm -hmm. whatever. Um, OK, so but that, you know, may be weeded out in, you know, tests similar to Down syndrome, um, you know, at some future point. Right. So, I mean, there are real arguments here. Uh, mm. I don't mean to discount them, it, but they're all pro probabilities. You will still have kids born with with everything imaginable. And and even a child who is elite can develop these things. And so no, and the film does show that. So mm -hmm. knowing that, setting up a society that, you know, looks at Jude Law, who's clearly out drunk and smoking and, you know, is in his pee, um, you know, he's got to find his sober days to even get good urine. Trust me, I know the feeling, um, you know, is just seems taking it a little, it's a little absurd. It is, uh, but there's this thing of like when oh, what was because I, I agree, um, but they're also using his drinking and smoking as a sort of it's a post I think it's supposed to take it's a post accident mm -hmm. behavior, you know like he has lost his you know his purpose his raison d'être like he was a swimmer like he'd do all this stuff and he was supposed to be this great you know um athlete and all this other stuff and that's been taken from him and so it's almost like it's movie shorthand isn't it to be like well he now he's a drunk and now he drinks and he <laughs> smokes and it's like you know this 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 ideal of perfection has been brought down by these horrible habits it's meant to be it's it's that so again there's this argument of just saying like yeah i, I get what you're saying like he is a representative like you can go that way but is it not the accident or the incident that's driven him to it? Not driven him, but that became, became a post-accident um, behaviour. And it's almost like a, you know, he's, he's almost rebelling against his own perfectionism, isn't he? Like he's challenging it almost. So like, I'm going to drink and I'm going to smoke and I'm going to be a knobhead and stuff like that. Like, you know, what does it mean? Um, so I, I don't know. Like, yeah, but like, you're right. That, you know, but you said about being, it being uh, percentages, but still reducing those percentages, like, you know, at the, I don't know the figures, I couldn't tell you the statistics, but it's obviously like, you know, one in however many will have some genetic disorder. Mm -hmm. And the other thing as well, there'll be, there'll be really, really rare ones, you know, like, you know, mm -hmm. some, some bone degenerative disease or like you said, some neuro, neural, uh, neurological uh, impairment or something that's so insanely rare 
that even with everything else removed, they could still have this. Um, if anything, it might even make it more prevalent because it's like, well, we've removed everything else and this one thing has now become, you know, the one factor in your genetic makeup that we didn't account for. And so you get that. So, the, the, you know, there are those possibilities of things being missed, but it still reduces the possibility. But that's what insurance is about. Going back to this idea of the insurance company, insurance is risk management. It's risk mitigation. It's all about potential. It's all about probability. If someone was to say to you, and, I, you know, the, the health system in our two countries are very different, you know, um, although ours has a leaning towards certain things, but if you were to say that if an insurance company, let's take a, let's take driving for example. Mm-hmm. When you take on a new driver, when I pa- first passed my test, and I was advised to get a low engine sized car that doesn't go very fast because your insurance will be lower, because the potential is the risk that the, the probability is you are going to crash that car. I did, so they were right. <laughs> Not massively, but I still, I still did it. But the fact of the matter is, like, as a first-time driver, there's this thing of like, you know, you don't have the life experience. You have got, you've got a level of naivety. You've got a level of enthusiasm. All that is calculated to go. There's a probability. There's an increased probability that this kid's going to put this around, wrap it around a tree, or, and then obviously they take the vehicle into consideration. I had a Rover Metro. It was what it was like one liter, like you know. Three people sat in it. It tr- it struggled to go anywhere. Right, that's fine. They're like, oh, that's fine. You know, you can't go over fifty miles an hour. But if I was to have a Porsche nine eleven, you know, four liter thing, like they'd be like, no, 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 your your potential has gone up. We're we're not insuring that. There's just no chance. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. So the, what they within this film, I can see they're looking at this file, this genetic file that is made of everyone and they're saying your likelihood for this you know uh, heart disease or cancer or you know uh addiction you know have addictive personality or whatever makes you either a high premium or uninsurable so you know it's, yeah. it's this thing you get about prosper but if you're a genetic i mean sorry a valid all that's brought down so it's 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 well, not 100 percent, but it's definitely reducing and manipulating those probabilities. But I mean, if you're insuring somebody with a car, their history of accidents or not is far more relevant than any other data. Right. Um, yes. And, you know, and, and, you know, my source for this is like NPR and reliable sources. Uh, one of the biggest uh, signifiers is whether somebody is male and young. And yeah, yeah, exactly. from like yeah. 18 to 30, uh, the average man is going to pay like twice the premiums of the average woman, mm-hmm. which incidentally, you know, not to sound like a regressive, nobody talks about that, right? Being oh, they, like genetic discrimination or j- j- just want to say they did in this country and it backfired because mm. <laughs> they were like hang on all these premiums aren't equal and it's really unfair and so they changed it and insurance companies instead of meeting them in the middle went you're right they're not the right. same we'll put everybody else's up <laughs> well that's i mean that's the same thing every time companies have to adjust prices it's like you know yeah. you bring them up and let inflation catch up or whatever mm. you know 
that's easier. Yeah, okay, you you know, granted. But my point is, like, you know, that it's, well, so we currently live under this situation, right? I mean, and, and there are good reasons for this. You know, you and I were once young men, and mm-hmm. I did some stupid things. Oh, yeah, I did so, very stupid things, yeah. Right, We I know, we both <laughs> have talked about them. So I, they didn't involve terrible car crashes, thank Mm-mm. God, or whatever. But, um, all right, but what I'm saying is, nobody looks at that and says, you know, I'm hiring a driver in the, you know, in a, for an Uber driver. We're going to prohibit any man from being an Uber driver. Uh, you know, I run a chauffeur service. If you have a, if you are, have a uh, Y chromosome, you're out. You need not apply. That has not happened. <laughs> no. I, I, and I get what you're saying, and that is an ex- the extreme. However, I'm pretty sure if the, the, there are companies, uh, you know, if they were allowed to, like the, you know, it's obviously the, the discrimination laws and everything else. If there was a company, especially let's say a smaller company, well, any size company, and three interview candidates turned up, and they were all of equal, you know, around about competency, but one of them's in a wheelchair. And you know what? We haven't installed wheelchair access in the building because we've never had to. So we're going to have to now. That's an additional cost. I can guarantee you there will be a conversation that says, do we really have to hire that person? And it'll go both ways. In the modern society, it'll be like, actually, it's worth doing because... We should be doing the right thing, and I'm sure more companies are like that now than they were. But they'll, you know, there's still a the thing where they like, have to do that anyway. And in a lot of municipalities and states, you would have, you to, have, have to do that anyway. Exactly. But I, you know, if they if they could, or um, I'm sure thing I saw something recently. It was a, it was like a TikTok video that was, that was sort of about this this idea of someone who had um, it was they had autism, they were on the spectrum, but it wasn't sort of as severe or, or or as noticeable as some of the cases, but they obviously do, they usually declare it or they have to declare it when they um, uh, apply for jobs and all this other stuff. You know, they, they, they have to do. declare that they're. Well, they, I think I think, he, I think he did, or he said something like he had. He said how much pro, how much trouble it caused or awkwardness mm-hmm. it then causes in the interview process, because there's this thing of like, oh my god, now the company feels, you know, we're between a rock and a hard place now. Like we, I can't not bring this person in because then we look like we're discriminating so we've got to bring them in and so they're not sure how to handle it but i, I guarantee you if there was a government if if the government was able to say well genetically we can say this things like you know, obviously this is taken to the extreme in the film but if you could enforce this it even says it in the film it's you know it's frowned upon like the government does not support this you know you are not supposed to hmm. um discriminate based on genetics yeah they say that yeah but then they will say, but we've got to do a drug test, so we need some urine samples yeah. or blood samples, so then they'll do it off the back of that. Um, and so, like, I I can totally see that happening. You know? Yeah. It, and don't forget as well, one of the things that's interesting about this film is Gattaca is an aerospace corporation. They are trying to send people into space. Mm-hmm. That's all well and good. I want to go see... Like again, this is that mm. thing of like it gives a very specific um example 
let's go to that insurance company. Like, what does their insurance office look like? Where do the you know are the invalids all on the phones? Are they processing paperwork? Like, where are the where are the valids working? You know, it's that sort of thing. I'm interested to see how it works in a more corporate environment. Yeah. No, I I mean I think that's right, and I think that this, you know, like you say, this this film isn't really interested in depicting how the society came about mm. or how it functions. And of course, it it touches on eugenics, you know, which my country helped pioneer back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and I and I do want to say for the record, like I mean, that response to somebody being autistic is, or just simply on the spectrum, you know, um, is insane you know i mean somebody who who uh you know clearly can do the job if anything they're going to be better at the job aware that well yeah i mean every employer should know that they have people on the spectrum already that just have not disclosed it or don't know it and would be a lot more efficient if they knew it and Mm. and made uh you know adjustments uh understanding that um and and i think that you know you I'm not a father, but, you know, uh, you know, you are. And mm-hmm. and and also speaking as a teacher. You know, you have the the children and the students that you have and everybody comes with advantages and disadvantages. And yes, by the time, you know, in my case, like by the time you get to college, you've already crossed certain thresholds. Right. Yeah. But, you know, uh, I mean, I, I've known plenty of students who, you know, were were diagnosed with major problems, deal with psychological ailments, deal with physical ailments, uh, and work their butts off, and mm. you know, or just came into school, you know, from a background of poverty or abuse, and feel like they don't belong. It's my job to love that student and help that student as well, and help that student achieve as much as possible. And I don't know anyone, either a parent or a teacher or anyone in this kind of authority role who looked at somebody would ever look at somebody and say, ah, he's going to die when he's 30. So I'm not really going to, you know, as a swimming coach, I'm not really going to give him the same attention. I just, yeah, but I'm nitpicking. I mean, we should probably discuss like the, the film itself and the acting and the shots. And Well, we'll get to that. But we, the thing is, this point, this, this film does propose these things. It is presenting a society based on this genetic class system. And the question is, is it, is it does it work? Um, I think in the microcosm, it does for this film. I kind of, I, I like the idea and the thoughts have gone into it. But you're right, as you as, as we said, as you try to expand it and you scratch away at it, like there are definitely issues and there's questions. Um, but... I think we should hold up because it, it, it is it's, it's, a, it's almost like a weird nitpick that sort of like takes us down a rabbit hole but this, I mean, I, the, the film opens it up to that right I mean the film mm. is an issue film right it is yes. as, yeah so I mean it's fair game and the fact that we're discussing it indicates it's working mm. oh yeah no it does and that's the thing I think this film does so I think some of the characters acknowledge some of these things as well like um, you know Uma Thurman's character um, acknowledges like she's not you know she is she has genetic manipulation but in doing so should they either miss something or couldn't afford something or whatever and so she actually has i can't remember is it, is it an eye thing or is it a, no it's a heart thing isn't it um i think it's a heart thing but it's like a, yeah. it's, a it's a low level probability compared to his yes but it's but still, she still thinks she's right yeah like she's like you I'm know, flawed. I'm, yeah and so she's like well i'm never going up in this year um 
my lover deserves someone with a pancreas. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so the, there are little bits like that where they try to address it, and you know, there's just the, and they obviously try to 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 cross the barriers because she then offers her hair, doesn't she? She offers like as a sample to say like you know, go test it. You can go see like you know, here's my flaws, and he lets it fly. You know, he drops the hair. He's like, oh, the wind caught it. He's like, I, I want to accept you for you. I don't give a crap about this probability of, of whatever you've got. And obviously that plays back later in the film when he's when she finds out he's Vincent, not Jerome. And so I kind of like all that. I like I like their relationship in a weird way. Um, but I, I do want to talk about we've talked about this 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 film with regards to the, the Twilight Zone. Is the is the aesthetic of this film? This idea, I, I kind of like retro futurism. In fact, I really like it. I think it works when it's done well. It works really well. And I like that, like, you know, all the buildings have got this like deco or weird feel to them. They've got like electric cars, but they're all sort of like the 60s and 50s design. Um, even the way it's shot, that restaurant scene, like the way, because Uma Thurman is perfect in this role for her. You know, she's great. I do like Uma Thurman. I think she's a great actress. But she has that, especially in the 90s, you know, when she was younger, they, they, she has that um, golden age of cinema look. You know, those sort of like female matinee looks. You know, I can't think of the example, you know, Greta Garbo or whoever, sort of like Lauren Bacall from the sort of like the 30s. And they film a lot of that. She has this tumble of hair coming down at one point, and the way they light it all feels like a sort of a 30s or 40s film. And it's absolutely fantastic. It's beautiful to see in some cases the way that they've sort of they film this. Um, I, don't know, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. No, I agree completely. And there were times where I thought, that aesthetically, this is a lot closer to Brazil than it is to yes. uh, the average Hollywood film. Um, I mean, it, and there is Art Deco in, in that, too. I mean, mm. and this isn't as over the top. I mean, this does <laughs> as, you know, uh, you know, Tim, Tim Burton, Batman details and everything that Brazil has. But um, but uh, no, I mean, I and I, I found that. It's it's that sort of like it's very fascistic and clean, a um, mm. lot of curves. Um, no, and 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 even the way it's shot is very beautiful. And I, I love retrofuturism too. I mean, that's why we both love another great Jude Law film, Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow. Yeah, it's great. Film. <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, I love that film. It's great. It's I not, love the idea of that film. <laughs> it's good fun. It's not. It's not. All right. It doesn't. It doesn't work out well, but it looks great. Um, but I'm with you, and you're quite right to point out her hair. I mean, that's the the curls are very much a sort of throwback. Uh, and and yeah, I mean, even even the coiffured look of uh, Jude Law and Ethan Hawke yes. uh, goes back to an earlier era of sort of the '40s and earlier. Mm. Well, even like you say, even before at the very start of the film, like you know, it says like in the not too distant future, you know, is, is the idea, but then you find out he's conceived in this sort of like, you know, old American car, you know, this Americana, I forget what car it is now, but it's like a, a very distinctive sort of like, you know, car from the seventies. And then when you see that, what, the, like, what he's wearing as a kid and as a teenager, there's a very fifties look to it, like, you know, bowling shirts with the stripes strong, you know, the, the white stripes down them. And um, there's a certain type of trouser, I forget the corner, now, but that, that wide leg mm. sort of trouser, sort of like, you know, there's, like there's bell even, bottoms. 
Yeah, but like, all, like straight down, they're sort of the, the trousers mm. from the sort of the thirties. They're sort of like you know, uh, high waist and sort of straight down. Sort of like you know, there's these there's this look throughout it that you're like, they're trying to make this sort of like timeless. Like they want it to be set in the future, but it's got that timeless look. Much like you know, weirdly, it made me think of like Batman the animated series. You know, mm. that sort of that timeless look. Um, Again, and sort of, you know, Art Deco is, you know, mm. a common attribute in all of this. Yeah. Um, but even the other, you say about sort of um, Brazil, like where he sat typing out the the code or the the, the mathematics mm. for the for the launch uh, and the sort of the flight path and stuff. Like it's those curved desks, isn't it? Little mm-hmm. mini kiosks, but they're all in a row, um, and, and they're all there, sat there typing away. Like that very that very much felt like that sort of Brazil bureaucracy um and stuff so yeah i can see that the same thing i mean i do i do find that um you know again i i keep playing devil's advocate i really (laughs) like this movie it's a good movie um of it it, nobody has cell phones right Mm -hmm. but there are but one company is responsible for 12 rockets a day and (laughs) Uh, and their flight paths are determined by people. Like, yeah. You know, I mean, just typing in their flight paths, it's like, I, I mean, that that is mind boggling. Mm. Well, yeah. And I, I like the fact that, that, and again, that comes back to this idea of the retro futurism, isn't it? It's going back to this idea of, you know, 50s ideas of space travel and, and, and all this other stuff. Um, and yeah, weirdly, the fact that like, mobile phones, I mean, this film obviously was made. You know, was released in 1997, so let's say 96, wherever it was conceived. It's just on that cusp of mobile phone technology really sort of taking off, or at least the, the, the early versions of it. So it's not even a consideration in this film, even in a sci fi way, it's not there. You know, it's just, um, just not even considered. Um, but they do, but like you say, yet yeah, they have genetics and, and computers and, and all that kind of stuff um but yeah, yeah it, and i don't have a problem with that i mean and the more i think of it the more i love your twilight zone comparison right mm-hmm. um by the way if you love the twilight zone we're on patreon yes. we talk about the twilight zone every week we're huge fans um but you know in the same way like that that does explain the sort of play-like feel of the script I mean, it does ex- explain the sort of like very limited scope, um, but it also explains this sort of vision of the future that even just putting aside the rockets and putting aside like the logistics of space flights and trajectories that, you know, those ideas of the t- Twilight Zone were to take an idea and extrapolate or to, you know, explore this. And mm-hmm. the Twilight Zone also was against conformity and has episodes mm-hmm. that are painfully just like, by the way, conformity's wrong, you know? Yeah. I was thinking of, there's that one where that guy is uh, like, I guess I can't, you know, bring my friends into work, you know? And, and he's yes. sort of in cubicles too and has a silly desk, um, you know, whereas Ethan Hawke is meticulous because he's hiding his genetic uh, mm. code. Um, yeah, I mean, but, you know, it's not intended, this film is not intending to really give a full depiction of the future. It's not intending to say... Let's sit down great minds and think, what will the future be like in 20 years? It's saying, let's focus on this one thing and tell a story based on it. 
Yeah, and I, and I, and I like it because of its simplicity. Because of that, like you could extrapolate this and make it like if you if you were to take this and become a TV show, like an HBO, you know, Max kind of show, you could explore so much. Like there's so much potential to 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 take this and and roll with it. But within the, this world, I do like all that sort of stuff. I kind of like the idea of the police as well. Um, you know, um, Alan Arkin as a sort of like, um, you know, this sort of detective, you know, uh, and I go, you, you don't know, I don't know whether he's an invalid or a valid, but there's sort of this thing around the police and then Anton, the brother, being this sort of senior detective. And then the so that you get just I like the idea of the police the murder investigation is nicely the, the murder investigation is completely oh, I don't say a non-event because it drives the plot but that's all it is it's a cipher that like the plot becomes a cipher for the discussion around um, uh, Vincent's character but what what are your thoughts on this idea of the brother and like you know so he obviously because Vincent leaves that saying goodbye. And so Anton drops a line later on. And he says, "Yeah, when you left, like, we just assumed you were dead. Like, you know, mum and dad just thought that you were dead. Because um, you'd be over thirty by now. So. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 They, they just mourned you and wrote you off. So the, there's this idea of this resentment and this competition between the two. And again, it's just again, it obviously comes back to the thing of being a valid versus an invalid. Um, but then obviously, by deception, Ethan Hawke is able to get. To a more senior position than his brother i, I, I kind of like it but sometimes it's a little messy it's unclear i think at times yeah i mean i i think that i think the idea is that you know their parents had their first kid and they were you know not hippies but they you know they believed in just you know we're having a kid that's great we're gonna have this yeah. birth thing and then they see oh you know, there's that scene where they're being read all of the problems, you know, and they're like, <laughs> we've made a terrible mistake. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and there are issues raising him uh, with this, just with the society mm. uh, and discrimination. And so their second, they, they opt for, you know, the, the um, genetic manipulation. And it's really clear that the younger brother, I mean, it's interesting to me that the older brother is the flawed one. Because uh, that tends to go against, I mean, typically the older brother is the brash, you know, one that gets all of the attention and younger brothers sometimes achieve more. There's this stereotype that first uh, children achieve more. But when younger, younger siblings achieve more, it's often because they less was expected of them. And mm -hmm. so the older brother, mm. you know, as I am winds up being like the golden boy who failed and you know being depressed all the time about my lack of accomplishment and the younger child is like hey it's all gravy i gotta excel excel work hard you know um but anyway i mean i found that dynamic interesting even though it is kind of like reversed and, and common mm. it's clear that ethan hawk uh that vincent is not happy with this discrimination that the parents basically write off <laughs> the older yeah. sibling. I think the swimming thing kind of like it's evocative and I love the way I love the ocean. I love the waves. You know, mm. it's beautiful. The swimming thing is evocative and beautiful, I think. But I'm annoyed when the older brother comes back and happens mm. to be the police detective. And they're like, golly gee, let's go for a swim again. I can still beat you. You know, it seems like really it's an element of melodrama in this that sort of feels slightly out of place. Um, 
yeah. Although, again, that sort of it depicts. I, I, I get why it's there. You know, I understand that it's this thing again at the end where, when they have that final swim after the confrontation, like you know, Vincent's sort of, of you know, Vincent playing Jerome is sort of free. He could sort of carry on, but he knows his brother sort of onto him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this confrontation, like you know, he could have just arrested him and taken him in, like, but it's going to become this this sort of brotherly confrontation. And at that point, like Vincent is very much like they've got nothing to lose. Like I've got to win this to sort of like to really. It's almost like spiteful. It's like for you know Vincent's almost like I've got to win this to not only prove I could do that, but I can do this again. I beat you once, I can beat you again. And so I, I'm almost convinced that, like, when they go into that, Vincent would swim until he died as long as he beat his brother. You know? Well, I, th- like, I think it's also, like, a referendum on are you going to turn me in, right? Like, yeah, yeah you're, you're a cop. You, you know, I am your lost brother who's achieved this due to deception. Um, you've got a decision to make. And your decision is based on, yeah, you were the good one and mm. I am the screw up who, you know, has cheated my way into this status. All right. Well, I'll prove it to you. I'll prove that I deserve this. But that seems, you know, I mean, here's I thought that was the most sort of like Mary Sue annoying point. Right. Yes. Because you shouldn't have to swim further than your cop brother. Yeah. To show that you're, you know, you've merited this position. And either you have or you haven't. And based on the treadmill results, you clearly are a risk. You should mm-hmm. not be sent up into space. Um, and, just, and I say this despite, you know, I mean, I don't want a culture to be this discriminatory and, and conformist and all of that. But the second your recording stops, your heart is beating like at the yeah. drum. <laughs> Well, yeah, it, it seems like it's a test case, right? Like, if I can beat you, you're not going to turn yeah. me in, right? Yes, and unfortunately, it feels a bit... Um, it doesn't work for me. You know, I get what it's trying to do. But I, what, what I wanted would be something, you know, less melodramatic, less thing. It's like, having seen this, like, you know, because um, going back as well, we talk about sort of Vincent as well, Um you talk about the parents and stuff before we get to the end. There's a bit at the very beginning that when um, uh, he's born, the first child's born, the mother says, or the nurse says, what's his name? And the mother says, Anton. And the, the father intercedes and says, no, 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 his name's Vincent Anton. So uh, you find out the father's name is Anton. And so he doesn't want to, after knowing the genetic, like, you know, this, this thing of being a, a natural born or an invalid or whatever, he, straight away from the moment of birth he's having something taken away from him uh, and then obviously the second born is called Anton and that's sort of like you know a part of this resentment um, what I would I would rather have had is the brother just acknowledge it be like you know what you, you were this you know to me you were Vincent when you left that when you left that this is even probably more bloody melodramatic but like when you left the house you were vincent freeman you're now Jer- jerome morrow like you know you've proven yourself like i can see that you can do this you know as a brother i stand by you sort of thing like i will keep your secret or whatever and then walk away just leave it at that like you know you beat me and i can see that you've done better and 
I you know I don't have to have this sort of resentment anymore or something. I don't know. It just the swimming thing feels a bit. It just feels a bit silly. Um, I get it as kids. Like I understand it. This thing of chicken, so I know it's going to come back. Yeah, it feels like a childish thing to do. So when they so when they do it as adults, it it still feels childish. Um, and so. Yeah, I mean, I think that role of like you deserved it is sort of the closest we get to that is the um, scientist who tests urine and a surprise test the day of yeah. his flight. Um, and, you know, it's believable, but it kind of annoys me that, you know, Ethan Hawke, Vincent is prepared for everything, but isn't, you know, pre- prepared with an extra bag of urine he can throw out just in case he needs it. But I mean, this is such a minor nitpick. But I mean, that's sort of by the end of the movie, you've had many people, including Uma Thurman, including his brother. Mm. Yes or no. Including, you know, the cop who's just. Yeah, the cop doesn't seem to. Alan Arkin, who another fine performance, doesn't seem to really care about this genetic stuff. He's just pursuing his job and pursuing his man. Um, He doesn't seem to really care and say anything about that, about invalids. Um, and then you have this final scientist. So by the end, it seems as if he's been rubber stamped by a lot of people. It also yeah. seems like Gore Vidal, his mission manager, isn't concerned about invalids. You no. know? Um, so, I mean, which I'm OK with. I mean, there are, is this phenomenon of like, you know, whether it's, you know, watch any movie about a Christian camp that's being holier than thou. Nobody believes it, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, how many people in the Nazi hierarchy really believe this mumble jumble, spiritualist mumble jumble? Yeah. So I like, I get that. But, you know, you're right. And there, it's like the, what, what you're describing is like the parallel to how we, I, I often feel like, why are these characters not honest with each other? Yeah. You know, like why, like the brother never has that, like has that conversation with Vincent and Vincent, you know, can't come clean with, you know, Uma Thurman and yeah, there's times it works and times it doesn't, and that's the thing because it carries on. It sort of it starts to stumble. Like keeping it from Uma Thurman, I completely get because like she's an employee of Gattaca, and there'd be that thing of like if it was to be outright and be like it would just destroy everything he's done, and it comes out later, and and it and when it does, I kind of like her reaction. Like so, when she takes Anton to the to the house, and you've had. Um, Jerome Jude Law like pulling himself up those stairs to get to that seat in time and stuff and she just she just sort of rolls with it and that's when she acknowledges like you know oh I've been she sort of knows it but like this is that final confirmation she's been completely deceived and the fact she just rolls with it and sort of like you know and then um, Ethan Hawke comes up the stairs I I like all that as well like I think that's really good and it's a great moment because that's the moment when it could it should all go wrong like she should mm-hmm. could run out, she could she could drop them all in it, and that's the sort of the moment when Vincent's like, yeah, we're we're done. Like this is everything. Everything I've worked for is gone at this point. But Jerome's like, no, no, I think I think there's a way around this. Like she clearly loves you. Like she's clearly, you know, she feels something for you. She covered for you in front of the police. Like don't be silly. Um, and so you know, I feel that as you get to the end, again, like it sort of some of it makes sense, some of it doesn't. Uh, when it comes to this thing of who's telling who what, um, and the brothers then resulting in the, the swimming sort of just feels like that pushed who more. Mm. The scientist, though, because I do want to talk about the relationship with Uma Thurman because there's, there's a couple of bits that I really like. But that scientist, I like the actor, he's one of those people that just turns up in things and you go, Oh, he's cool, I like him. Um, 
he he makes a drop line again at the end that throughout the film, obviously, you know, um, Vince had to go in for blood tests and urine tests and, and all this other shit. And then at the end, like you said, there's a surprise one before they get onto the ship, and he hasn't set himself up a bag, like he hasn't taken one. So you're right, it's it's a mistake. It's a you, you would be, you'd be routinely doing it, wouldn't you? You'd, you'd cover yourself. But that becomes irrelevant because obviously, well, it sort of if it fails, it brings up us Vincent. And the guy says, Oh, yes, oh I haven't I haven't told you about my son. And he's like, No, he says, Oh, you you're a bit of a hero of his. And at first you're supposed to think, because it's before the Vincent thing pops up, you're supposed to think like, oh, he, you know, he admires this guy because of how good he is. Mm-hmm. You know, like how genetically pure he is and how good he is ready for this to be astronaut. And then obviously there's the realization that I know this scientist guy is known all along, or at least suspected, because mm-hmm. he says that, you know, a right-handed guy doesn't hold it with his left when he's been doing the urine tests. And so when the Vincent thing pops up, he, he pops it, he says, yeah, you're fine, and, and makes it go away. And he can get on the spaceship and he lets him go. And you realise, at least in my head, this guy's got an invalid kid, and he's telling him at home, you know, I'm not, <laughs> maybe... Mm-hmm not go off and, and pretend to be somebody <laughs> else. But, you know, there are ways. Like, you could be an astronaut. Like, you know, I know this person. You know, I don't want to tell you who he is. But it, it feels there's more to that. And I kind of like that, that it's just a drop line, that it's just a moment. You know, it's sort of that final hurdle. And it's, you know, I don't, I don't think it's supposed to be a moment of tension. I don't think there's a great deal of moments of massive tension in this film, but it's a nice nod for me that says... Oh no, we someone knew all along and had your back. And you yeah, know, and it also helps it also helps explain how successful he's been, right? With Yes. Know, I mean, we don't see his his penis while he's urinating. So, I mean, it is one of the strangest lines, the discussion of how well endowed he is. Um, but uh, but it's not clear if he has a, you know, prosthetic penis that this is attached to is sometimes mm. is used in faking drug tests you know, as I've had to do for all my sports. Um, but, you know, it's not clear how that has worked, but it does make it a little more believable. And I did find that moment kind of touching the mm. same way I found Uma Thurman kind of touching as she returns the favor and drops, you know, the the real hair, Vincent's real hair, yeah. uh, and refuses to get tested. Yeah, and that's what I mean, like those human moments, because I think the relationship between he, uh, Vincent, and... and, and um... Irene is actually kind of touching it. It becomes a nice sort of through line for the film, um, and especially that moment, like I said, where like she's obviously fallen for him, and then she finds it all out, and she's still able to um, let it slide. You know, she's able to sort of carry on. Um, I don't know, it, 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 it just, the relationship sort of works, because it, it comes out of necessity, but then builds to become something else. Um, and, you know, is she going to be waiting for him when he gets back or something? I don't know, but it, it's... Yeah, I mean, I think she is, right? There's this discussion, and, and she says a year isn't that long. Mm. Um, but, you know, curiously, I mean, I like... I, I, okay, I feel like I, all I'm saying are negative shit, and I like this movie. It's a good movie. But um, curiously, I feel like there's no chemistry between them. Like, I like that relationship, but there's no chemistry. I mean, they kiss, and they have that a year isn't that long. But um, 
and she feels you get I get the sense that she feels um closer to him because he has overlooked her heart condition. Yeah. And then she sort of returns the favor and overlooks uh, his. Um but you know, I find myself thinking about how I don't think you know, look, I mean, there once was a time in which people got married for money and, mm-hmm. you know, fame or whatever. I guess some people still do, but that used to be all it was about. <laughs> you know, the idea that yeah. love entered into it at all was, you know, like, what entitled jerk off are you to think that? <laughs> nowadays, we're completely in the opposite camp. And I think nowadays we'd say, you know, if I if I love someone and want to and want to you know, really be intimate and, and honest and close with them. You know, I, I wouldn't care if they have, a, mm. you know, a, any kind of condition. I mean, none of us know it's the end of Blade Runner, right? With, with the, the original that I like yes. better. Um, none of us know how long we have anyway. Um, mm. I, I find that quite touching. But I think this movie, I in their relationship, it feels colder. Strangely, it feels colder than Blade Runner. I, <laughs> You know, I, I like I don't feel any, I I get what's going on, but I don't feel any chemistry between them. I don't know that they're in love. Or... No, I agree, and I, I I and I I had to think about this because there's a scene um, where they do end up in bed together. You, mean, you don't see anything; you just see that in the morning after and all this other stuff. But you see that the lead up to that, and they go to this. Um, they've obviously been to the restaurant, and then they go to the solar panel park all this other stuff and i'm watching that and for the same as what you're saying i'm like it feels cold but is that intentional like because every interaction in this film has felt cold you know whenever you see sort of like them interact with the the mission controller or uh, even between like jerome and 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 vincent like you know they're, they're, by the end of the film like they're supposed to have this sort of like uh, respect and admiration for each other, but it never really feels like that. To when, like you know, when sort of Vincent says to him at the end, uh, sorry, Jerome says to him at the end about sort of like you know, you gave me your, you know, I gave you yeah. my body, but you gave me your dreams. I I like the sentiment, but it never feels impassioned. And so I don't think, so I, I don't think it's supposed to be. You know, so yeah, this world feels cold in that way. No, you're right. And I, and I think that is deliberate. Uh, you know, mm. the reason why Jude Law doesn't feel, you know, compassionate there is because he's obviously a sex android. But, you know, I mean, I but I think what's missing to me in that scene is and I do think it's deliberate. But what's missing is, you know, any statement of I love you, any statement of thanks, any statement of I'm proud of you. You know, these sort mm. of like frank emotional statements nobody ever makes in the movie. Um, and obviously that's got to be deliberate. Although I, I do find show after show, movie after movie. I'm like, I say, I love you and hug people all the time. Like, no, (laughs) there are so many relationships where I'm like, how are you married or having an affair? And nobody ever does this, um, where that's normal, I guess. But, um, but yeah, this is clearly cold, Mm. but I mean, you know, it, it does, that's clearly deliberate, but it's still sort of leaves you wanting a little. It does, and I, and I agree, because what I would sort of hope for is, in this cold world, you know, you've got this guy who's deceiving to get through things. Like, having some warm relationships 
even a spark of it in some way would go a long long way to to showing all that kind of thing um and the closest you get actually is really between jerome and, and vincent when they they go out for like a night out you know and they show this sort of like friendship then and they know the the, the hostess and all this other stuff like um, that's about the closest you get, really, in the whole film. Everything else is a very sort of functional, cold, feels cold relationship. Um, you know, there's a moment where they listen to music or something, which is a, there's a great point I want to make up. It's like they listen to the music and you see them sort of like you know, their hands touching, they end up holding hands. And then, you know, which is it's a nice shot, but it doesn't seem to be reflected in anything else they do. Um, so yeah, I agree. It feels cold, but I, thought, I do think it's intentional. I do think it's sort of whether it's the right choice is, is a different is a different, a different question. Right, and if we're going to criticize, sort of like we don't need the Spielbergian um, action scenes of Minority Report. <laughs> exactly. But the flip side yeah. is that what Spielberg, you know, is the director par excellence for is that emotional connection with mm. characters, and that is also missing. And I could do with a little more of that. <laughs> Uh, without the the actual spectacles well you know with acceptance with the acceptance in this film should come a thawing that's sort of what you'd expect and maybe it's too cliched maybe again it's that you know melodrama i don't know but uma thurma being cold at the beginning of the film makes sense like she's she's lived this life she's got she's she's worked in this this corporation she expects that people are going to look down on her because she has this potential for a heart condition so she's not top flight so she's sort of almost accepted her role, like she's above others, but she's below some others. Mm. And so this idea of acceptance, she's had to thaw that to sort of make her less, or this relationship less cold. And it, like you say, it doesn't get there. At the end of the film, that final farewell or that final sort of like, you know, um, scene doesn't feel like a thawing in, in, in that sort of way. Um Mm. Yeah, it does feel cold. And and I come back to this issue of just, you know, honesty and intimacy. And I know that other people, I mean, you know, God knows the average man has terrible problems with intimacy. Um, <laughs> having said that, you know, I, I feel like there are so many moments in this film in which certainly Vincent is a phenomenal liar. He comes mm. up with so many great lines, uh, you know, explanations. Um, Jude Law also, you know, like I, I you know, was, am re rehabilitating in this wheelchair. I had an accident. I'm fine. Right. Um, how dare you accuse me? Um, you know, he's you know, he uses his privilege to, you know, defer mm. um, as a shield. And, you know, these characters are all very skilled in lying. And yeah. this might be a commentary, again, on how cold and sort of fascistic the society is. But I also, but I find myself like, okay, when when it is pretty clear, I mean, the, another character who seems to know is the janitor, right? Mm. I mean, because there was a janitor who sees Ethan Hawke looking at the window <laughs> going, I'm going to be in there someday. Yeah. Never comes back. It's never like, you know, I recognize that executive. Gosh darn it, you did it. But it, it seems to me, except for the Jude Law character, Vincent has no one to confide in. And so mm. that's why that friendship of people who really wouldn't get along, wouldn't have met each other, other, other circumstances, become sort of 
friends. Um, but how exhausting must it be? And, and how can, you know, I often think, gee, I mean, it's crystal clear, you know, once you're running from the cops with your girlfriend, you know, it's time to say, there's something I've been meaning to tell you, honey. You know, yeah. I mean, and, and roll the dice and hope to be understood and tolerated. Nobody ever, ever, ever does that. No, no. No, I agree. And it, it's, it sort of, it becomes almost like a film cliche, isn't it? It's one of those things that, you know, if they were honest in the first 10 minutes of this film, this film wouldn't have happened, you know, sort of. Um, uh, it, that's not quite this film, but you're right with the relationships. Um, and again, it comes back to this thing of like, it's a bit of a plot contrivance, um, but also like it has to propel the plot. So, you know, they're going to let, certain things go a certain way in a cliched fashion however having said that this film could have gone a very different way because that moment when he does escape from the restaurant and he headbutts the policeman and stuff like that in certain other hands this would have all of a sudden become a chase movie and you'd have had the end of minority report so i'm glad they don't do that um it does go you know the way it goes um so yeah but we even talk about relationships you talk about moments of thawing or sort of moments of sincerity the moment that Jerome sort of like reveals that he's actually been um, store, you know, gathering and storing all this stuff um, to give to to Vincent, is kind of touching. Um, but like you said, so you, it's kind of touching. It's obviously leading to something. But you said you didn't buy his suicide at the end of the film. Well, I don't um, buy. First of all. Are, are they going to detect this body? Like, you know, his. I mean, you're going to come back to. I mean, is he paying a mortgage? I mean, do, does can he die and a year pass and nobody detect his body uh, or know that he's dead? Um, first of all, and then secondly, why wouldn't you know? Why wouldn't you want to be around? Um, you know, I mean, it seems it seems strange. But what I object to most of all is. You know, of all the means of self-murder or whatever you want to call it, death by burning alive is probably <laughs> the least convincing. Well, it's it's um it's this incinerator, and it's an interesting thing because this house basically has like a lab, like a it's like if you were to break in, you'd be like, Christ, this is a meth lab. Like there's something going on here. There's all kinds of test tubes and stuff, but they have this incinerator, and so you know. This incinerator is every morning Ethan Hawke climbs into it and he sort of like brushes himself down to get off any loose skin and he runs it through his hair to make sure, you know, uh, or any loose hairs or anything goes into this incinerator. And then every now and then they put like other things in like used clothes and that sort of thing goes in and, and gets incinerated. So it's completely evaporated, like completely evaporated, destroyed. It's literally incinerated. So yeah, so the reason that 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 Jerome climbs in there is because if he was to commit suicide in the flat, like you say, that's a body just sat there. It's the only way for the, because it's Jerome's sort of, it's almost like Jerome's final gift, weirdly, to, to, um, uh, Vincent is like a neat ending. Like he climbs into this incinerator and that's it. Like he, he will be, not only will he be killed, but he'll be, um, He'll, his body will be destroyed. So there's no evidence of this thing. This thing will go away. How hot does it um, have to be to destroy bone? No idea. 
Um, I, it's, and I, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not going to Google that just in case. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm pretty sure it's not that hot because you think about it, that's what yeah, crematoriums do. Like it incinerates, you know, the vast majority, then they just grind down the last bit. So, you know, and no one's looking for Jerome though because they all think he's on a spaceship on a, on a one year mission. So, um, if anything, him being away and Jerome being there and still receiving food and all sort of stuff would have been a giveaway. So it's almost like, you know, I feel like his suicide is almost like this is the inevitable ending of this film. But but right. it is hard to take. But I, I, I understand, you know, it's, I understand why. Take a pill and yeah. put the incinerator. On. I mean, he's closed the door already. I mean, put the incinerator on a timer. Just yeah. so you're dead before the flames hit. I mean, death by burning is not a good way to die. No. That's all no. I mean. But you're quite right. I mean, that's a very good point about like food deliveries and things like this. I mean although I mean he gets away with going around town. I mean, he's not <laughs> as careful as he could be. But yeah, I mean, point taken. Symbolically it works, right? That he's mm. the detritus. And I and I will say, um, I, I love all the scenes of Ethan Hawke scrubbing and preparing every day yeah. and making the fake uh, fingertip with a little repository of blood and, you know, scrubbing himself down. Um, it, it really is. It, they take a lot of time. They don't rush those mm. scenes and they repeat it several times. Um, and I felt it very effective, uh, I, I even moving and it seemed to me to be dramatizing or to or to ha- really hammer home the cost of passing, whether mm. passing. And it, it's only really in those moments that I feel that the film really transcends this sort of like anti-ableist theme, um, not that it needs to, but into sort of passing, whether it's passing for straight, passing for white, passing for any other thing that we discriminate for, you know, this daily grind you know Mm. how much society imposes on those who are forced to fit in yeah well it's all like i say yeah i I do love it because i also love it uh, the the night he spends with irene when he wakes up in the morning and he panics he's like he realizes that there's a pillow with his with his hair sails on and he runs down to the beach next to her house and she he just grabs like a stone like any stone and starts rubbing himself next to the sea and so there is there's this desperation in that moment of like i can't get home but i've got to carry on this thing and it's i've got to continue this routine and it, like you say it's this daily grind of maintaining this level of um this level of perfection to not be found out and like that drives me insane like that's really hard work and it goes back to this thing about like, the sacrifice of self you know he has he has sacrificed pretty much everything else to facilitate this one dream um and yeah there's a level of commitment well they even joke about it don't they the commitment because he's he's what like a two inches or an inch sh- shorter mm. than jude law and so you know they they cut his legs and um elongate his his legs but that is how it's done yeah yeah um and and so that's you know then obviously uh, i like a demonstration of that he's like he's obviously had to then create a lie to explain these scars so if he ever sees if anyone ever sees them he's got this thing he talks about some car so do you know what height 
the 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 bumper or you know the fender of whatever this car is like yeah that's it and he's so used to it he even says it to irene after she knows the truth yeah um and his and she even says to him like you're so used to saying that lie that you can't say otherwise mm-hmm. um and so i like that that it's just so ingrained in him this whole thing this routine and this thing yeah, and again, I find that routine kind of heartbreaking, and and I think that it is a great dramatization of how you know. I mean, and we've heard this with a lot of you know, whether it's Me Too, whether it's you know, uh, talking about trans rights, talking mm-hmm. about you know all of these social issues, the the way in which being forced to conform to these expectations uh, of society is exhausting. And mm. you, you see those those scenes and you're just like, he does this every day. Like mm. this is just the amount of time and attention and pain involved just on a daily basis. Forget the the surgery is is painful to watch to think, yeah. you know, wow, this is not a good society yeah. that makes somebody do this. And then you think, oh, wait, we kind of do this, too. And I think the film works better, at, at you know, at those moments. I think that's very mm. effective. The thing with the the bumper is one of those things where I think, okay, that's clever. It's well written, but it, but it, it, you know, and maybe this is just me wanting him to be more honest. But it's like she already knows. Like, you know, why can't why can't he say, you know, yeah, I had to have the surgery to be two inches taller. Uh, I feel it's more like force a habit, though, isn't it for him? It's like it it just regurgitates. You know, it's like. Oh, if they're spotted, I say this. Like that's it's, it's almost like a Pavlovian response. You know, he, he can't help himself because uh, he smiles about it when she sort of calls him on it. He's like, yeah, yeah, you know, it's it is bullshit. Um, so you know, uh, but yeah, scenes like that, and, and it's, this is not the only movie that makes me feel that way. Make me feel like uh, Michael Corleone's family in The Godfather. Like, why don't you just tell her? You know, I love you with all my heart. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just, it's okay. That's like a rom-com ending, though, isn't it? When you, you end up then running to the airport or whatever to catch them before they leave. Um, she's standing, looking, way looking yeah. up, right? That's, I mean, because yeah. that's set up, right? She watches every flight. Mm. We don't see her watching that. What, that's actually what I was going to ask about the end of this film. So the very ending of this film, you talked about the scientists and getting on the, the, the spaceship. Do you feel that the ending of this film is triumphant? Is it? Is it? That's a good question. I, I mean, I think so. I think it wants to be, mm. but it doesn't feel. Again, it's an emotionally a very flat film, and mm-hmm. I think, yeah, we want him to succeed, right? I mean, how sad would it be if he's found out and all of this was for nothing, and you know, society just tramped him down? Right. Yeah. So other other films would have done that, but yeah, it, it it's again that thing of expectation. It is a triumph ending. He he succeeds. He gets his dream, but it never feels like a fist pumping kind of triumphant moment. It's still a very quiet. It's like a quiet triumph. It's almost like you know you're not supposed to be uh, cheering about this because then he'll be found out. But um. I like the ending, but yeah, it's it's an in flat, emotionally flat is is an interesting sort of is a, is a good way of describing it. Yeah, I think it's beautiful. I mean, mm. it's, it's very well done. Um, the way the the shadow 
and the light comes through that, you know, for, I mean, of course they're, they're in suits and, you know, this, this rocket and, you know, what, what exactly are they? Why does it need them again? I, it doesn't really, I don't know. It doesn't matter. What exactly is their mission? Why, you know, none of this really matters. Um, but it's a beautiful shot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a nice shot to end on. Um, but yeah, I find it sort of flat. Um, yeah. what, 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 you know, there's a, there's an after credit sequence in which, um, I don't know if you stuck to the end of the credits in which he has just gone into outer space and, and at, you know, as he, cause you see, he looking at the earth from space and just a minute later, he has a heart attack and everybody else is stuck with a dead body in the castle <laughs> for the rest of the year. I thought you were going to say he gets up there and the after scene is him and he meets Thanos in space. And uh, um... that's my standard joke about all movies is like, <laughs> I'll watch a really, I'll, you know, watch like Dune or, or Blade Runner or something, some good stuff. And I'll say, you know, like, when does Thanos get here? <laughs> um, yeah, it, it could well be LinkedIn. One of the things I would say, you, one of the things I was interested in, and I wanted your sort of take on this because it sort of struck me a little bit. And there are films that do this. You said oh, there's been a play. This felt to me like a short story. Mm. Not in length, but literally. So this felt like I could easily read this story and it'd be uh, a short story from a short story collection of like Asimov or or Dick or or you know one of those writers from that era. Uh, or even like from an anthology of like you know best sci-fi collections and whatever, like it feels like it would fit into that thing. I could easily sort of see this being a sort of a I don't know like a ninety or hundred page sort of like I don't know like a longish but short story. I don't know. What, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. It just that's how it it came across to me. Like this would be a very sort of specific short story. Yeah, I can see that too, and I think that um, yeah, I mean that has to do with sort of like its limited scope and how much time is spent between lines of dialogue on mm. images on the the feel of this environment and yet it's never boring i mean mm. you know i mean compared to you know solaris or stalker it's 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 much more captivating minute by minute um so i mean i could totally see what you're talking about yeah it, it just to feel as i got to the end of it i was like oh i can imagine this was an adaptation of a, of one of those sort of like stories um, you know, and like you say, if this had been adapted by Verhoeven or Spielberg or Bay or someone like that, like this film would have gone in a different direction. And it's um, impossible to imagine, right? You know, I mean, this is it succeeds and fails, you know, and it largely succeeds because of those specific choices. Mm. And you add a little bit more emotion, I think it still works, mm. but you go to saccharine. And you don't believe that this is really an oppressive society, right? Yes, it, it, it loses its tone. Yes, exactly. I, I agree. I mean, to me, you know, one of the films I did think about again when I was considering this afterwards is The Island, which is a Michael Bay film, which is mm. Hugh McGregor and Scarlett Johansson, which is a similar thing of like, you know, you know, um, spoilers for a film that's probably 25 years old, but. Or even 20, 20 years old, uh, you know, it's about clones and about them sort of and the society that has them and that sort of thing. So, um, but that is played as an action film. You know, that's more of a sort of a chase film and that sort of thing. So, that, and 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 when I thought about it, I was like, oh, this could have been that. Yes. 
Uh, yeah. And I'm, and I'm glad it wasn't. Absolutely. And I don't need, I mean, as, look, we both love Total Recall. I mean, we love, you mm. know, versions of that sort of film. Um, and and the, the whole detective plot, as you say, is really just a plot device. Um, yeah. And Alan Arkin's character doesn't seem particularly concerned with, you know, the, the whole invalid situation. He's just concerned with catching a murderer. Mm. Um, I did want to say that uh, the mission commander, you know, you find out that Gore Vidal has perpetrated this murder. And, and, and you know, we have learned previously. I mean, basically, the suspects are, right? Who are the suspects, right? We know it's not Vincent. Uh, the suspects are Uma Thurman or mm-hmm. Gore Vidal. That's it, right? Uh, yeah. It's a murder mystery with two suspects, <laughs> yeah. and one is the love interest. So unless you're yeah. going to turn her into a femme fatale, um, and and you find out that the mission commander has spat in the eye of the <laughs> man that he's killed, and that's how they identify his DNA. Um, so it's so again, you know, I feel like I'm so nitpicking, but you know, I know we're supposed to think that, I mean. The, the mission commander has done this because the guy he killed was against this specific mission that mm. Vincent is being set on. Well, they launched yeah. 12 rockets a day. Yeah. They clearly, you know, have missions this far out all the time. Why was this mission so important? Uh, I mean, I know that it's there's a window every 70 years. That's, that's it. Wants to launch that's, it. Yeah, that's it. I mean, the only, th- the only thing you get is that there's a very specific window for the destination they're trying to get to, and the mission controller or whatever is determined to see it in his lifetime. So if it misses it, it's another 70 years, and so he'll miss it in his lifetime. That's it. Um, and the, the, the weird thing is, because the, the mission controller says, like, you know, at one point he is confronted, and he says, oh, you can check my file, and there's not, you know, there isn't a violent bone in my body. Mm-hmm. But everyone has, a, has obviously a breaking point. But there's, there's a difference. There is a difference between an impulse lashing out and hitting someone with a keyboard, you know, like that's a, that's an impulse weapon and, and running away and then, or doing that and spitting in the face of the person you've just killed, especially in a world where you know that, you know, genetic material can be traced this quickly. You're right. The the whole plot, the whole mystery, it's not a mystery because the film isn't even bothered. Like like you say, it doesn't even try and give you any potential that Uma Thurman is the killer. Like, you know, if there was a drop line or even there was a sort of a suggestion, there's not not even a suggestion of it ever. So, yeah, it's it's, it's irrelevant. It's almost like it's only there to provide tension for Vincent to propel his um, his plot. Yeah, I mean, um, she says everybody. Ha- I'm glad he's dead, and everybody hated yeah. him. But yeah, that's about it. But one of the things, and again, it's a nitpicky kind of thing. It kind of annoys me because I watch. I I kind of like police procedurals and all that kind of thing. Like you know, I not NCIS or that sort of thing, but I kind of like silly ones, Bones or or Castle. But I do know that forensics, even in the night and that, was relatively good. And this film tells us. That they go around with little mini hoovers picking up all kinds of crap, and that's how they find the eyelash. Yet at no point do they check the exterior of the corpse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For foreign foreign genetic material. Golly gee, we missed that spit in his eye. 
yeah, and that feels like a really sort of like so the the, the the mystery resolution at the end of the film feels so rushed and so sort of like perfunctory that our mom's like it doesn't matter it doesn't matter like it's so yeah. irrelevant to the you know in the grand scheme of things that even like the filmmakers are like yeah we know like you know we'll just resolve yeah. it in a minute sure yeah we gave you Gore Vidal what more do you want yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah yeah you get that in Alan Arkin sort of like you know yeah sort of um, barking around so you know be happy with that no and, and I am for the most part but I mean mm. it, you know the list of things that I, I do have complaints about um I mean, I guess I could also throw in that Alan Arkin's investigative procedures, you were talking about hoovering up the stuff and not finding the, the spit. I mean, it's essentially, you know, we're going to test people. Yeah. And he insists on, you know, testing the staff there later on. But initially, it's let's round up some invalids uh, invalids. And so you see this is really the one glimpse you see of life outside of this sort of like elite circle Mm. are these you know basically it's like a home it looks like homeless people it's just like if you're invalid you basically can't get a job and you're you know you might be a janitor but you're clearly subject you clearly are subject to searches and seizures and you know police taking advantage of you presumably that's illegal because you know there's this whole like it's not yeah. okay to if it's not okay to discriminate in employment it's probably not okay to to do this I don't in know. policing yeah uh, uh, stop Maybe. and search don't know yeah why does he why does he go to that posh uh restaurant and yeah that one's the one that bothers me a little bit because he he clearly thinks that someone is in imper- like Vincent is impersonating someone I think that's it but it's never sort of it's never confirmed but again like that you know that side of things if you were to give this film I don't know what's this film sort of like one hour forty. I don't, I don't know how long it is, but like, if you were to give it an extra five ten minutes, like you could expand on the. You, you could actually make the mystery worthwhile just with a couple of extra scenes. But yeah, mm-hmm. the, that's not what they're there for. Uh, as a final thought, before we sort of wrap up, you just said something there that I, again, one of the things that made me think about the sort of like short story and a literary side to this is this idea of referring to them as invalids. And we obviously know the English language can be an absolute clunky mess. Because invalid and invalid are spelled exactly the same. And so I was like, okay, sometimes it's a little on the nose, you know, because it could mm. if you're an invalid, you're an, an invalid. Vincent's surname is Freeman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so there's a few times I'm like, I was like, oh, okay, like, yeah, that's. Yeah, but that's, stuff, I mean, in fairness to your point, that stuff was also very common, naming was also very common in. Uh... You know, earlier fiction, especially mid-century mm. stuff. So, well, that was my question. It was like, is that sort of like a, you know, does that 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 part of this retrofuturism where those sorts of names? Because if again, that sort of feels like something you'd get in the Twilight Zone, doesn't it? Where you'd, mm. you'd get that mm-hmm. naming convention that that's sort of like a little bit on the nose. Um, so I was curious about that, but it's good. Anyway, final. We're, we're going to wrap up. Come to the end now. So, Julian, final thoughts on 1997's Gattaca. Well, I'm really glad that I saw it. I can't believe I went this long without seeing it, and it's referenced everywhere. I think everyone should see it. Um, mm. I think it was built up too much in my head. And, it's, and you have to go in knowing it's this small story that's sort of like a Twilight Zone episode. Um, you know, so 
it's a good movie. I mean, we've done we've spent two hours nitpicking this thing to death, yeah. and and bring, you know, bring. But that's what we do. But that doesn't mean that you can't appreciate it despite all of this. And it is captivating, and it is without a doubt, you know, far and above average. You know, a, a really a truly good movie. Yeah. I, I agree. I, I really enjoyed this. It's been a while since I've seen this, probably 10, 15 years. And so I was really glad to go back and see it. The performances are good. Like you said, it, despite the sort of the emotionally flat like thing, like pretty much across the board, everyone is good in this. You know, um, Jude Law, Ethan Hawke, sort of in their 90s, sort of, um, you know, they're coming up and, and sort of their screen presence is great. Uma Thurman is fantastic. And like, I, th- I think it's got a really good cast. It's a, it's a really solid cast. And this, they, they do this story um you know credit it's it's told well it looks beautiful though i mean there are some great scenes in this that look fantastic um the locales are really cool it looks unusual it it, it just it's just a small story it's just a very sort of focused story it makes me think of those other films i think of like you know ex machina or one of those other stories where it's like we are going to as you say we're going to extrapolate this one thing and we're going to do this with it um and so um yeah taking it in that sort of twilight zone um ethos if we're going to take it in that sort of direction i really enjoy this film it's not gonna be on heavy rotation like it's not one i'm gonna go back to frequently but I'm, i'll probably watch this again in a couple of years or if i was to come across it but yeah i'll watch that that's good um so yeah no it's it's a, it's a solid film it's you know it's 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 better than some of the other crap that came out in 1907 anyway so uh, but it's definitely just be be aware if you are going to watch this, it is a sci-fi film. Hmm. This is one of those films that you're going in. Like, it's not a blockbuster. It's not a. It's not a mainstream sort of sci-fi actioner. It's very much a science fiction film, uh, and and I, I kind of enjoy it. I really enjoy it for that. So, yes. Oh, so that's Gattaca. So, before we move on to sort of the outros, we're doing we're doing a bit of a twofer in the next two episodes. Um, and so you know. Uh, this is going to lead into something else that we're going to do in the future, which we'll talk about uh, down the line. But we're going to be co- we're doing the f- next film is a Spanish film um, called Christ. I forgot what it's called already. Um, Open your eyes. Thank you. Open your eyes. Um, which was remade um, shortly after as Vanilla Sky, and we're going to be doing that. So next week or next episode, sorry, we're going to do Open Your Eyes. And then the week at the, the episode after, we're doing Vanilla Sky. So we're going to do back to back, an original and a remake, see how that sort of translates, uh, see if we pick up on the same themes and those sorts of things. I'm really quite interested to see how, how this sort of works for us. Um, I think that's a, I think it is fascinating. And having seen both of these and thought about it, I think it's fascinating to sort of see two versions of this that are both close, but mm. both also very different with different actors and different choices. And both have things to recommend them. Pe- and so I think Pen- we'll really... Penelope, Cru- Penelope Cruz is in both, isn't she? Yes, which characters. is very telling. Because, yeah. you know, it's like, no, 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 she nailed that part, but we need a leading man. So we'll yeah. recast... We need Tom Cruise. Yeah. <laughs> back, back to Tom Cruise in early nine, early 2000s. So that's what we're doing in the next couple of episodes. So it's going to be quite exciting. And that will take us to our sort of finale uh, of this, or at least this season of the, the sort of thing, uh, before we sort of do our... Uh, Terry Gilliam little uh, little move. We're going to be talking the fountain, which I'm very excited for. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, if you like what we're doing, if you enjoyed us talking about this, come and find us on social media. 
uh, at pod time space tell us what you think of gattaca uh, are we right are we wrong would you be you know actually let us know would you use genetic manipulation for your own children or yourself i'm curious to know um but also if you're trying like, but it doesn't work yeah yeah i think there's certain things you know hair, hair management would probably be something I, you know um i'm follically challenged um like a punch to the gut scott yeah is that, just, is that I'm, I'm not exactly sort of you know awash with a mane of hair um so anyway, yes i if you like what we're doing though Go and check out your podcast catcher. Leave a uh, a review, five stars, four stars, whatever you want to do. All feedback is greatly appreciated. Go leave a review. And as Julian said during the show, if you really, really like what we do, you want, what we do and you want to hear more, go check out our Patreon. Um, Patreon.com slash 20, that's 20 CG Media. And we do a weekly podcast on there where we look at uh, the Twilight Zone. We're still working our way through the first season of the Twilight Zone. We're going to go through all of them. Uh, trekking through the twilight zone i do a monthly podcast called 30 minute thoughts and we do all kinds of bits and pieces on there some behind the scenes and we've got some other special things coming up in the future so if you want to know more go check out the patreon there's a link below in the notes uh, other than that we've got some great exciting things coming as i say we're gonna make some announcements soon uh, but julian thank you very much for, for talking gattaca with us well, uh, thanks for making me watch this. I always enjoy our discussions and I always learn from them. And I know that if listeners get, you know, half as much out of it as I do, you know, they're doing great. And if, yeah, I hope people appreciate the deep dives and, you know, yeah, enjoy the I, show and tell their friends. I say, yeah, spread the word, guys, spread the word, because these aren't just reviews. You know, we're not just reviews. We are literally, just, we, we really want to get a discussion going. So I hope you enjoy those discussions. Um, but anyway, we're going to have some interesting discussions coming up. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for being with us. And, uh, you know, we shall see you uh, in the next episode. There's something very important I forgot to tell you. What? Don't cross the streams.